welcome to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. In this episode of the podcast, we continue our ongoing spotlight on learning through the case method with a conversation with three second year students from our executive MBA class of 2023, John Forbes, Ali Searles, and Alan Barmack. If you have questions about what it's like to learn through the case method, how students prepare for class, the impact of this learning experience, really the list goes on, you have come to the right place. So without further ado, here's my conversation with John Forbes, Ali Searles, and Alan Barmack. John, Ali, Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. I cannot believe this. You were in quarter 10. How does it feel, John? How does it feel to be at pretty much the last last part of the program, right at the very end? Uh, it's it's really bittersweet, honestly. Like the, the program has really been a, a huge joy and a highlight over the past couple of years. And um, so happy that I've gotten through it and I getting to the end of the grind. But yeah, bittersweet that um, not, this is the last OGR. Allie, how, how does it feel? I think John framed it perfectly. I mean, it is a lot of work, but I feel like I've come away with some expanded horizons, relationships, friendships. So it feels both great to be in quarter 10. Uh, I feel a sense of achievement, but I better keep seeing all of my friends and classmates after graduation. <laughs> I, I, I hear this so often from folks like you start to it starts to hit you that this is your last real time together as a group. Like you're going to see each other at alumni functions, reunions, et cetera, but not exactly in the same same way as what you've been doing here. Alan, how does it feel? Very into the program. Yeah, same thing. It's, it's amazing that uh, I knew that Darden would make me a better business person, but what it's really done is make me a better person person. Yeah, I, I've loved the the relationships that that I've built, and yeah, echoing what Allie and John said, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss these uh, these weekends because yes, classes a ton of work leading up to OGRs, ton of work reading the cases, but I mean Friday nights, Saturday nights, uh, going out with the group, uh, I'm gonna miss that. All right. Well, so appreciate you're coming on the podcast. And, and the purpose of today's conversation is to talk about the case method and learning through the case method. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit more about you. So, Ali, tell us about you. Who are you? What's your background? It's nice to meet everyone. I'm Ali, and I am based in Washington, D.C. I'm a consultant in the tech strategy space for PwC, and I've been in that world for about 10 years now. And actually, I'm a will be a double who in uh, two months. I went to UVA undergrad and couldn't stay away. So here I am back at Darden. And I largely came, honestly, to to expand my horizons outside of just the consulting space, meet some colleagues across different industries. And it's been fantastic. Yeah, Ali, one of the things that jumps out to me about your experience, I think you've managed to do five global residencies. Is this right? That's... Fair point, Brett. And actually, that's one of the reasons I chose Darden was because they had the global residency program. And yes, I snuck in a fifth one uh, for my Gemba experience. <laughs> so tell us, where did you go? I was in Spain, Argentina, South Korea, Australia, and then just came back about a week and a half ago from Morocco. Nice. That's awesome. Well, it, I saw the pictures from Morocco. Uh, incredible uh, looking place. It sounded like you all had a lot of fun there. Yes. Through Darden, I have managed to visit two brand new continents, Australia and Africa, for the first time in the last two and a half months. <laughs> Excellent. Alan, tell us more about you. Who are you? What's your background? So uh, I also uh, will be a double who. And actually, that's where my story started. I'm, I'm a sales guy. I had an internship, uh, fourth year of... Uh, of UBA at Sprint. And my mentor um, asked me what I'm gonna do after graduation. And I said, well, I don't really know. I, I want uh, one of those cool computer programming jobs that were hip in, in 1995. And she said, well, um, I have a Darden uh, classmate that works for this company, America Online something or other. Why don't you call him up? And uh, I called him up asking in January of my fourth year, asking if he had a uh, cool computer programming job for me. And he said, no, I don't have anything. 
I called him every other week for five months and uh, asking if he had a cool computer programming job. And then finally, a uh, week after graduation in May, I was sitting out on my parents' deck and he called me back and said, uh, I don't have a, a computer programming job for you, but you're persistent and polite. Why don't you uh, try sales? We're starting an online uh, sales directory. And uh, the rest is history. I've just been uh, uh, moving around to different technology sales jobs. I love technology and, and uh, now, uh, graduating Darden, I'm looking to to leverage that to uh, to get back into the the C-suite and then uh, you know focus on technology, AI, ML. I love all that stuff. Excellent. All right, and John, tell us more about you. Oh, it, it's really hard to self-identify at this point. Um, I've made a huge shift um, from self-identifying really as an engineer. Um, I went undergrad at Georgia Tech, studied aerospace engineering, uh, worked on military jet engines for the start of my career, um, but was always interested in how were the business decisions being made. And so um, decided to yeah, pivot and go to business school and uh, ended up here at Darden um, and then made a career pivot um, into banking. So working for Capital One now is a financial business analyst. Um, so, I mean, self-identification work in work life um, is difficult, you know, all these pivots and um, still looking forward to what's to come. Uh, my personal life um, in Richmond, Virginia, like love everything outdoors, um, hiking, fishing, camping, uh, and motorcycle riding, anything that gets me out of the house and on the trail or on the road. Um, I just, and I also love Alan um, bringing us back to when uh, days where the internet came on CDs and they were mailed to your house. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for that. No, when I, when I started AOL, I mean, first of all, it, it was great because um, it was like college, but I got paid $30,000 a year because it was the dawn of the internet where they had ping pong tables and uh, they rolled, you know, birthday cakes every Friday. So that was fun. Well, Alan, talk to us a little bit more about your decision to pursue an MBA. How did how did you uh, decide that you wanted to go back to school and, and and do the executive MBA program? Well, I always wanted to to get my MBA. Um, it's just uh, work got in the way. I was I was enjoying what I was doing. I was moving up the ladder. Uh, I was a VP of sales for fifteen years, and then uh, when COVID hit, I, I figured it was a now or never. It, it was a good time to take uh, what I call a career pit stop. Uh, while things were slowing down a little bit, um, I, I wanted to give it a shot uh, to get back, at, get my MBA. And the only place I ever wanted to go was Darden, because I love UVA so much. So uh, I applied to uh, Darden, um, got in, and um, I took a step down in my uh, job because from VP of sales, uh, to individual contributor level, because I just wanted to make sure that I had the bandwidth to do both things well. I, I didn't think I could manage, you know, 20 people and get my MBA at, at the same time. And it, it's worked out great. I mean, I, I've done both things well, still uh, doing my real job well and getting good grades at, uh, at Darden. And now just looking to to get back, like I said, back to the executive uh, level, I'm looking at VP of sales, ahead of sales, and then eventually uh, my career goal is uh, CRO. Um, and Darden has definitely given me the tools to do that because I, I found that through most of my career, I was very um, reactive, whereas my boss would tell me, Alan, we need your team to sell $10 million or $15 million. And I could build a plan to sell $10 million, but I didn't know why that number was was 10 million. Why isn't it 5 million? Why isn't it 15 million? So Darden has given me that strategic perspective on the all encompassing the 360 degree view of the business so that I can really understand how to build a strategic plan for success and be a lot more proactive. So I'm looking forward to uh, to leveraging that out in the world. 
That's been one of the things that has come through. We just talked with the part-time students uh, not so long ago about what they're getting out of the program thus far. And they all started talking about this big picture, being able to see how all the pieces fit together. What do you think about, what is it about your Darden experience, Alan, that's kind of helped you sort of widen your view, kind of understand things more at this enterprise level? Well, it, it's more, uh, I think about the the learning teams and uh, I'm going to uh, say a character flaw of mine is that I always think that uh, I can do things best, that I get very nervous relinquishing control to uh, to other people because I, I honestly feel that I could do it best. But here at Darden, I'm among 137 of the best. So um, it took a little time for me to, to trust uh, people, but then I, I trust my learning team. And, but you have to. You have to trust your learning team to help you through this. You can't do it alone. And that skill is really going has helped me develop as a um, like I said earlier, a person, but also as a business person too, because I, I translated that into my work now and trusting people and, and knowing that they'll do their job. But it all started with, uh, you know, I was very anxious about having to trust uh, my learning team, but but I love my learning team. Um, and I don't know what you all do. I know you and I have talked about it before that there's some kind of formula for creating learning teams, but I'm the six of us could not be more different um, as people or work experience, but I love every single one of them and I trust them with my life. Alan, I just want to say that I really appreciate that comment and you're not alone in your character flaw. I think a lot <laughs> of people at this level share that. I know I do. So that uh, resonated with me while you were talking. Yeah, that is typically one of the growth opportunities for people when they come to the program is you realize you can't do it all by yourself. I think people oftentimes will start early on, first quarter, trying to do everything uh, all by themselves and working with their learning team, but really like kind of have much more of that individual mindset. And you very quickly have to, re you realize you have to shift to the team mindset that you have to ask for help um, in a lot of different directions. So um, I appreciate that comment as well. John, um, how did you decide you wanted to pursue an MBA and, and what led you to the executive MBA program? All right. So I decided to pursue an MBA completely by accident, in all honesty. <laughs> um, so Darden is actually my second program. Um, I did not complete the first one. Um, I also accidentally enrolled for my first MBA program. Uh, so the company that I was working for had an employee sponsored program. And I was looking for some information as something to do. Um, and it was so easy to get into that I accidentally enrolled. Um, they called me up, asked if I wanted to start classes the next week. Um, and I said, sure. <laughs> so I started my MBA journey that way, completely by accident. Um, I did, had to actually take the GRE after I was already in that program. But learned I didn't want to work for that company long-term and, and they were changing up their compensation packages to where I would have to pay back money. And I, I wasn't interested in being on the hook for that. Um, and so left that company, left that program, started working somewhere else and found out that I really missed it, um, that I, I wanted to go back to school. I, I loved what I was learning uh, in the business side. And so living in Virginia, I started looking at where can I go to school while still working, that's going to have a significant in-person portion um, because I wanted the, the networking and the diversity that an in-person program was going to offer. Um, and I also wanted to work full-time. And so that set of requirements, uh, I found that Darden offers a program in the Roslyn area. It's you know on grounds once a month, um, virtual classes other weeks. Um, it's a top business school, um, and I need to apply there. Um, so when I set my sights on something, I get really focused in on it. And so I applied to Darden. It's the only school that I applied to. Um, and thankfully enough, I got accepted because I don't know what I would be doing if I hadn't been. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's my journey into my MBA and where I am today. Well, when you think about the time that you've been here, you know, almost almost 20 months at this point, um, 
did something jump out to you as the impact of your experience, John, when you think about it? Yeah, I think that the biggest impact of my experience has come from the exposure to the diversity of backgrounds, learning styles, and the way that people look at things. Um, I mean, in the learning teams, you all, you know, read the case, try to come together on like, what did we learn here? And, you know, also character flaw of mine, I think I do things the best, or at least I felt that way prior to this program. Um, but coming into that, like people just had insights. I, was like, I would have never thought of that. And just that openness now to be able to really want to hear and really value other people's insights into a problem, uh, I think is just invaluable and is going to carry you forward. I appreciate all this vulnerability here on the podcast. You can tell y'all are uh, you know, second year executive MBA students uh, having these kind of conversations. It's, it's, I appreciate it. It's great for prospective students to hear this because I, I, the reality is you come, you're surrounded by a group of very talented people, but you end up discovering a lot about yourself. And if you really embrace that, there's so much progress to, to all of your points thus far um, that you can make, not just professionally, but also also personally. So, Ali, how about you? How did you decide to pursue an MBA and, and what led you uh, to the executive MBA program? Interesting, actually. I also had a bit of a, a winding path. And since I went to UVA undergrad, I knew I loved learning. I embraced some of those Jeffersonian, uh, you know, continuous learning, always expand your your knowledge set, your skill set. But I had, as a consultant, been kind of battling with the idea of going back for an MBA. And even on my team at work, I remember talking to um, my boss and he was like, why would you go get an MBA? You're, you're at a consulting firm. Everything you need to know about business, you've learned over the past several years. And I was like, ah, oh, is he right? And I kind of worried about it. And I went and attended a class at Darden on grounds for the residential program. And I took the class and it was very interesting. Um, I did feel that some of the individuals uh, might've been more junior given where I was in my career, uh, but enjoyed the case method. So I think Brett, as you know, then I applied and got into the residential program and this was right pre-COVID. And so I was excited thinking about attending and then the pandemic hit. And I had a conversation kind of with my family and they were like, do you want to take two years off? You know, where you are in your career, who knows what's going to happen to the world. So then I gave Brett, gave you a call and talked to you about the executive program. And John, similar to your point, um, the amount of time spent together on grounds for residencies and other, especially the global residencies, which was a huge point for me. Um, was a critical factor in saying, okay, I'm going to switch into the exec program. It felt right. Um, but what I would say I still didn't realize until I started attending classes and in the program was how much I would gain from the individuals in the executive program. And I know we have incredibly talented people in, in the residential program as well, but given where so many of my classmates are in their careers, I, I think I came in, I don't want to say with a chip on my shoulder, but with a, you know, I am a consultant and I know things about business. And then I sat in on a couple of classes and or we started classes and people started speaking and just sharing things from, you know, their experience and their back, be it military, engineering, John working on rockets and other things and people working on nuclear submarines. And I was like, okay. I did not know a lot of things, and I am so very grateful that I switched into the exec program just because it fit my lifestyle a lot better at the time. Um, and I managed to get a promotion while uh, doing the exec program, so it kept my career kind of trajectory going. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up here. When you think about the impact of the program for you, Allie, uh, yeah, obviously it sounds like you've exposure to other perspectives, but is there anything else that, that jumps out to you? I think a huge one is just how to interact with others and ask questions. And it's funny because you hear from either alumni or even some of the professors early on and they're like, oh, ask questions. The one thing you'll learn at Darden is to ask questions. I'm like, all right, yeah, it's a case method. Everyone's asking questions, class participation, sure. But even in how you approach interactions, and I do, similar to John and Alan, feel like I've taken it back to my work some of the coursework we've done, I, mean, I think of ultimate questions with uh, Professor Andy Wicks, phenomenal class. And just some of the tactics I've learned for how to react 
to challenging situations or, or difficult scenarios, be it work, be it personal life, is unparalleled. Like I did not expect to get that out of a business school program, how I personally interact with people. Um, and that's probably the biggest impact for me that I want to keep practicing even after graduation, even after the program. So one more question before we turn our attention to discussing learning through the case method. But one of the things that I really want our prospective students to understand is what's a weekend residency like? And it's been touched on a little bit at Fridays and Saturday nights, a lot going on. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting to me about the executive MBA program, and, and John, you and Allie both have kind of mentioned the in-person component, is like, even though you're in Roslyn, and yes, it's a it's a it's a metro area and all this kind of stuff. You still have this kind of campus cohort feel because of the way that the weekend works. And so, um, Ali, I wonder, how would you describe what a weekend residency is like to a prospective student who maybe just learning about the program is trying to wrap their mind around the experience? Not to sound too sappy and sentimental, but it feels a little bit like you're coming to hang out with all of your good friends. Uh, and it's funny because that really grows and evolves with the programs. You start out and everyone, I feel like, is a little unsure, but luckily, and Brett, you would know better than I whether this is common across cohorts, but I feel that our cohort is very welcoming, very inclusive, and also people take the initiative to just say, hey, I'm going to make a dinner reservation here. Whoever wants to come, let me know. Uh, we also had the benefit of uh, Courtney Marr in our group, who was our social social liaison, social chair, and she would organize fantastic events in the district, which I think was wonderful, getting people exposure to you know the city just a 10-minute walk away, but also when you're across the water, sometimes it's challenging to get into DC proper. So she would schedule events to bring everyone together. Um, sorry, but going back to what a, a normal weekend residency is like, early on during core work, uh, it starts out and everyone has a relatively similar schedule because you're split into the two different sections. So everyone is together from noon Friday to the evening where we have usually a, a Friday Night Live, uh, which is a fantastic event. And we'll cover different topics every single on-grounds residency, whether it's learning about the global residencies or it's a networking fair or I believe a career fair. We have employers coming tonight. Um, different every time, but a great way to engage and kind of meet with and mingle with your class and even other classes uh, for the part-time or other executive program. And then Saturday, a lot of coursework. You start early in the morning, 8 a.m. until usually four or five or so, but don't worry, they will keep you very well fed. Lots of snacks, lots of lunch. And then there are usually uh, lunch and learns and events that happen throughout the course of the day uh, based on your interests, based on some of the groups and clubs that you've joined. And then Sunday, very similar. Also early morning start, get done in the afternoon. And the difference I would say is near the end of the program, after a Sunday, people are like, oh, do we want to go across the street, grab grab some food together, grab grab a beer, grab a beverage? Um, and it's just, it, it's almost like people don't want to leave. Uh, I'm speaking for myself. I know people get tired after the long day of courses, but once you get to know your class and start having some of these fantastic conversations within the classes, those conversations continue afterward. And it's not like at work when you go and you talk shop and it's the last thing you want to talk about. For me, a lot of the topics are, I want to keep talking. And it seems like my classmates want to continue engaging too. All right. Thank you for that excellent summary. Um, that is, that's outstanding. Uh, Alan, uh, anything you would want to highlight about the weekend residency experience um, for people who are just learning about this part of the executive MBA program? Well, yeah, actually, uh, back to my point about learning, leaning on your learning team is it's a lot of work leading up to the uh, OGRs, to, to the residencies. Um, it is just tons of cases because you're preparing for Versus normally on a normal week, you're maybe preparing for two to three classes uh, a week because you have the the online night classes. But at OGR, we're talking about, like Ali said, uh, half day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then there's work that comes along with that. And there were times, especially in the first couple quarters, that there was just so much uh, prep that we had to divide up the workload uh, to the learning team. 
that, hey, you know, two of us will read uh, these cases and then report back to the others and two will read other cases and, and then pair it up. But again, leaning on the learning team to get the work done because some of those cases are 30, 40 pages each and, and you've got five cases that are 40 pages each and it's tough to manage all that with your real job um, you know, during the week. But then the good thing is, is that by the time you get to OGR, all that work pays off and you're having, like Ali was saying, these interesting discussions. I love just the the discussions that we have in class, mainly because A, the people are, are so smart and interesting. We have such a diverse background, but also that people are so respectful of other people's opinions. We've had classes where we've covered some serious uh topics uh that that could be uh volatile or, or you know could set people off but everyone respects everyone else's opinion and is so great to hear different opinions and then you have that mix of also so we're working hard pre-ogr working hard during ogr but then uh friday and saturday nights it, it's just hanging out with with your friends and also, so uh, Ali was saying everyone's uh, accommodating and it is great. We have a schedule. Our, our learning team, uh, one of the, the women on uh, my learning team is a, a foodie and, and her and her husband uh, love just recommending restaurants. So uh, every Friday uh, of OGR, we uh, go out as a learning team to a new restaurant in, in D.C. And then Saturday is time for the group. But uh, also, uh, I'm, I'm going to miss most uh, Saturdays at midnight uh, coming back to the hotel when everyone, no matter where they were, they come back to the hotel and we're just hanging out in the lobby. Yeah, this very surreal experience. One time walking through the lobby at the Lumeridian where the students stay and it's like 10 o'clock at night. You know, I was just finished doing something in Roslyn and I realized I knew everybody in the lobby and it was because it, they were all executive MBA students and I <laughs> did not that occur to me. That is such a gathering place um, and people just congregate there. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Alan. John, anything you would want to highlight about the weekend residency experience? If, if there was ever more an experience that epitomized the phrase burning the candle at both ends, it is a weekend residency. Um, to you know, my classmates' points, like you're doing a lot of prep work leading up to it. I mean, it is an absolute onslaught crash course of learning in three days. I, I don't understand how we can be thrown so much information. It's almost like the professors don't really understand that we're executive MBAs and we have full-time jobs um, on, based on some of the case reading and prep that they want us to do. Um, but I love that challenge. Like you are so pushed beyond your limits that that's where your growth comes from. Like you, you can't do this alone. Like you are forced to rely on teammates and trust them. And you would never think that you could learn so much information in three days. You don't have a choice. You have to. And by the way, after your second OGR, you've only got a week till exams. So you not only have to have the crash course to get all the new material, you have to synthesize it in a week and then be tested on it. Like it's absolute insanity. Um, but at the same time, by far one of the best experiences I've ever had. So it, like I, I feel bad. Usually Mondays after OGRs, I'm, I'm taking an easy day. Like I'm at work, but don't really expect any deliverables from me on that Monday because um, I have to recuperate, um, but wouldn't wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> I like that idea of sort of responding to the challenge. I think that that is um, something that I've heard from a lot of executive MBA students that the program just expands your your own sense of your capacity, like what you can do, uh, right? Because you've, you've done this thing's very challenging. You've also learned about a lot of things you maybe were a little bit nervous about learning about, intimidated about, or weren't sure you could learn. And all of a sudden, you, you know something about it. You were able to speak about it in class. Like it's very, very powerful psychologically. All right, so let's talk more about learning through the case method. You've all talked about it in different ways here, exposure to different perspectives, a sort of team-based aspect of learning. Um, 
John, I'll come to you for this question first. How would you explain the case method to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Um, just trying to understand, hey, John, what are, what are you doing in this program? I, I know Darden's a case method school. How, how would you explain it? I would have to explain it as I, I think there's no better simulated experience of like a business, like boardroom conversation. You have, you know, all these different classmates pulled together from different backgrounds. They've all read the same case. They've all had the same information presented to them, but it's the value that everybody's background brings into the situation and the different perspectives that they offer. And it's, it's an open guided discussion. Like the professors are there really as facilitators and they kind of know where the the path needs to lead or like what points they want to cover. But it's really up to the students to kind of get to those points, uncover those insights. Um, So it's all like knowledge sharing, right? It's so engaging to not have the traditional lecture type system because that just doesn't I don't think that prepares you for real world conversation in challenging new topics, because if one person knew everything, the problem's already been solved. Like you don't need to have a meeting about it. You just need a a quick PowerPoint deck that gives you the answer. Um, So that kind of summarizes case method for me is really just open guided conversation between friends. Allie, how, how do you explain it to people who ask you about what you're what you're doing at Darden in these class sessions? John laid it out pretty well, but I would uh, introduce perhaps some skepticism that I had coming into the case method. And that was, how am I supposed to learn finance accounting from reading a case? And I was still skeptical, even while we were in some of the beginnings of those courses. And what I will say is I took, I actually took accounting in undergrad, took a class. Didn't love it. It was lecture style. Um, I'm I'm sure there were many who did love it. It just wasn't my cup of tea. So I went into accounting and business school at Darden thinking, here we go again. And actually ended up, I don't want to say I love accounting. I do work for PwC, but I ended up really liking the class. And the professor, Paul Simcoe, I thought he was fantastic, witty. And the case method itself if you like cliffhangers or, you know, anyone who likes to binge a Netflix show and they leave you ready to click on the next episode, I don't want to oversell it. But when you read a case, most of the time you don't have an outcome. It comes down to a decision. And they say, this exact trying to decide to do X, Y, or Z. What do you think? And you're, and I'm sitting there like skimming through, that can't be it. There must be additional pages to this because that's not an answer. And I don't have enough to go on. And how can the professor expect me to have enough to go on? I think, that's some of the beauty of the case method is you are, as an executive, thrown into scenarios where you don't have all of the information. And speaking of impacts of Darden and being comfortable with what's uncomfortable, that's one of the things I've also grasped is I'm not always going to have all of the information. And it gets to a point where you can't keep digging and digging and you have to make a decision. And I think the case method kind of forces that uh, realization and helps you practice that skill set and that muscle. So for me... Even in the areas where I thought you can't learn this from reading a piece of paper and then going into class where they're not giving me a lecture on how to find my weighted average cost of capital, uh, you will be shocked. You can learn. Your classmates, John especially, looking at you, will help teach you in the class because many of them are going to have an excellent grasp given their finance background, their accounting background, and they teach you along with the professor um, and somehow that comes across a lot, a lot better and a lot more, um, it sticks more than having someone speak at you for 60, 90 minutes. I appreciate you're highlighting the skepticism. We're going to come back and talk about <laughs> accounting and finance and what that, what that learning experience was like, because that's the natural follow-up uh, question from many prospective students is like, okay, I get it. But even for finance, and so um, Alan, how do you how do you describe the case method? What do you highlight uh, about well, the case method? Yeah, so just to back up a little bit for for uh, people that have no idea what the case method is, is so we're given um, a, a story, a five to ten page story about a business, and, and like Ali said, that they're, they're facing a problem, and we're getting all these uh, these data points and. Before class, we've got to read this before class, 
and come prepared to class to suggest a, a solution based on whatever the fundamentals of that that class are. And I was intimidated at first by the case method because the, the challenge of the case method is that you're expected to come up with answers before you're you're taught the subject. But that's part of the learning process is try to do try to do it on your own, try to absorb the material. Uh, and I found that that over the, the course of Darden, I, I'd read the case and I'd maybe know, understand 25% of the material. But then you go to class and, and like John said, we're having these discussions and people are coming from different angles as to their suggestions and I'm learning it even more. And the teacher, it, it, the professor is, is telling us some more about it. So now by the end of the uh, uh, class, I maybe understand 50% of it and then we're doing some more work on it. And then we have the review before the final exam and I understand 80% of it, but by the time we're ready for the final exam, I, I get it. But it's really you've got to to put the work in. It's intimidating to uh, have to put the work in when you don't really have the knowledge of how to do it. But it is so valuable if you just try your best, get as far as you can. And then we have learning team meetings every week before to, to discuss the cases. And, you know, like both John and Ali said, there, there's different people in the class have different backgrounds, different strengths. So throughout the course of the program, we would lean on different people to help us with that particular topic. And it's, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Montessori method uh, of learning. I've had all my kids in uh, in Montessori where it's that you reinforce learning by teaching others. And it's a better way to, to learn it. And the case method is a lot like that through the discussions uh, that we have in class. That is the first reference of to Montessori learning here on the podcast, a historic moment. Thank you, Alan. Um, so you, you kind of introduced this a little bit. I want to talk about how y'all prepare for class. Um, this is one of the most common questions. And how do you get ready for one of these conversations? So Alan, you laid out sort of, sort of a high level, but what does your schedule look like? How do you work with your learning team? Um, how do you prepare for a case discussion? So on a, on a typical week, we're going to have class on, especially with the cores, we're going to have class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, so our learning team decided that we were going to have uh, meetings on Monday nights. So Monday nights would be the meetings to prep for Tuesday and, and Thursday classes. So over the, the week before or between Thursday and, and Monday, we were responsible for going through the material and, and giving it our best shot. And personally, at the beginning, I started, uh, I'd work my real job, um, you know, eight, eight to six, and then um, maybe have dinner and then study cases a little bit every day. But I just found it just, it was too stressful. Was my, my day was just too busy. So um, what I moved into is I really did no Darden prep work during the week and then did four hours on Saturday, four hours on Sunday, and that prepped me for the whole week rather than doing a little each day because that way I also actually got to have a, a personal life and I, I got to spend time with the kids and, and have dinner without you know shoving it down for five minutes before class. Because um, between the learning team meetings on Monday nights, the uh, classes on Tuesday and Thursday, if I you know throw in case prep, it, it's a, a, a busy week. So you just but that was my particular schedule. Some people, I mean, just work the schedule that is comfortable for you. But the the theme was is making sure to prep before our learning team meetings on Monday nights. And then we uh, helped each other. All right. I appreciate that. You got to find your own rhythm. I, it's so funny. We've had people come on the podcast and say, oh, I did a little bit every day. I try to find 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. Everybody's, everybody does something a little bit different. So I'm curious to hear about your approach, John. Um, how do you prepare for a case discussion? Yeah, my so my approach is more of the little bit each day. Um, it's not 30 minutes. It's a couple of hours. Um, and coming into this program, um, it was actually a conversation that I had with my spouse where uh, I was like, I'm going to go into Darden. It's going to be like a good amount of work. Like I know that there's going to be a lot of prep material and a lot of learning here. Um, and she knew she wasn't going to see me all that often for the next 20 months. And so she decided to go to grad school to have something to fill her time. Um, so yeah, during the week, we both kind of like lock ourselves in our little home offices that we made during the pandemic. And we work a full day and then we study and we, we try to get back together at 
8.30 in the evening, um, just because that's the time that we had free uh, to prioritize us. Um, I like doing the prep during the week because then I get the weekend to chill out and relax. Um, I can, you know, nose to the grindstone Monday through Friday, but, uh, you know, that weekend comes around, I need the time to recharge and, and do my own hobbies. Um, but overall, like prep work wise, I always try to touch a case twice. So the first time is a read through. Just let me read through. I'll highlight. Um, I, I'm better engaged in reading and understanding stuff when I'm like actively reading and, and highlighting things instead of passively reading where you get through a page and you're like, I don't remember any of what that said. Um, so I do that. And then if there's uh, calculations or specific, there's always specific questions that kind of get asked to kick off the conversation. I go back to those the second time I pick up the case. So like I've read it, I kind of understand what's going on. Now it's time to dig into details and get some answers out of this thing. Um, and that's the method that I found that works for me. And um, in the learning teams, like I would do my first read through, I would have the summarization notes so that the people that I was sharing case notes with could participate in like the case facts conversations. Um, and then the second time I would be answering those questions, doing some analysis to have uh, like an Excel workbook or some kind of visual to um, to share with my learning team as well. And when you were together as a learning team, did y'all divide up the cases? Did everybody bring something to the case? How, what was your approach within the team? Uh, yeah, so dividing up the cases, uh, learning team was six people in a weekend, came out to be roughly like 12 cases. And so um, about two cases per person some of them you would double up on depending on the length of it or people's skill sets. Um, we tried to have it where everybody at least came into the learning team discussion having read a case. Like you could have just like skim read, passively read it. And so the people that were in charge of like, you know, were assigned that case by our team would be doing the summary notes and doing like the real work. Um, but everybody was familiar with what was going on because we all wanted to have uh, read and have it like a base understanding of the, um, the problem that was being presented. Excellent. All right, Allie, how do you prepare for a case discussion? Oh, Brad, don't make me follow John who touches every case twice. Um, <laughs> I, we, our learning team has, as I've said a couple of times, uh, evolved along with the program. And we started out similar to John's team, dividing up the cases and everyone would take usually around two. And then when we would try to split for finance, for example, um, everyone would at least take one of those so we could all be building that skill. And then the one person, depending on what, what concept we, would, we were learning, would get relatively well-versed in that. We started the program earlier on having weekly learning team meetings. And then actually for our learning team in particular, quickly scaled that back. Uh, the timing was a little complicated. We had a couple of learning team members with young kids. Um, I play soccer once a week. So just trying to line up everyone's schedules was a bit challenging. So instead, we would often come to OGRs early and take sometimes that Friday morning to go through the cases we found particularly challenging. So a lot of are in the quant realm, someone would kind of put their screen and we'd walk through it together. But Weekly meetings when we needed them, and most of the time they would be targeted toward particular cases that we thought were challenging. And sometimes not everyone could join the meeting, uh, but for the most part, we all tried to make it to those sessions. And then as as the program evolved, like I said, we would meet during during breaks on OGR or kind of fill each other in, or someone would give the, the, the case facts or an overarching view. And that that worked for us. I think every learning team is very different. And this is something that you learn when you when you come to Darden and when you start engaging with everyone. It's every learning team finds their rhythm and everyone has a different style. And so for us, it worked not to meet weekly. Uh, but I know plenty of people who would not trade that meeting for the world. So 
I appreciate all the references to like finding your own lane, figuring out how to do this, and that there's very opportunity for vari- variation here. Um, I, I think sometimes learning teams feel pressure to like, oh, well, what, what's the what's the way that everybody else is doing it, and we've got to do it that way. And you've got six people with very different schedules, balancing a lot of different things in addition to school. So you have to find find your own own way as, as a team, and that typically takes a little while. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me about where y'all are in the program, do you feel like you've gotten better at reading cases from where you started to where you are now? Allie, like, what's it like to read a case as a second year student who's at the end of the end of the program versus where you began? It's a great question. And it is different. I, th- I think I started out more similarly to John, where I was going line by line, you know, very in depth. And I didn't have a good sense of how the discussion was going to go in class and how the professor was going to guide the conversation and take it. But once you've done this for, I believe you said, 20 months now, you get a sense of you know, what they're going to ask, where the, where this should go, um, and that I should have a, an idea of the decision of what I'm supposed to get out of it by the end of the course. So I read it a lot differently. Actually, um, I'm not sure if this is a cheat code that I'm allowed to share, but I will start by reading, like John said, the questions and then sometimes the final paragraph of the case where it comes down to the decision. And then I go back and read from the front down. And that really helps me realize what I'm looking for, uh, because candidly, as John said, some of these cases are 40 pages long and you know maybe maybe it's 20 pages of exhibits, but that's still a substantial amount of text. And there have been a number of times where I'm like, oh, I can tell you the entire trajectory of this company. 1800s, I know the founders' names, I know where it was based. And then you get into class and they're like, all right, 2012, you know, this is the shape of the economy. What are we doing with this new sales transformation plan? And I'm like, no, I want to tell you about how they invented carriages back in the 18. Let's go to that. So I feel like you can get yourself caught up in how much information there is. And it's another helpful tool you take into, into your career and into your everyday job is what's important and learning which facts you need to pay attention to. So I've absolutely changed my style quite a bit. And I think I'm uh, a bit faster at getting through the material than I was when I started. Alan, how about for you? Um, what's it like to read a case now versus where you started uh, when you were a brand new executive MBA student? Yeah, I read it from a different perspective now. When I first started, I read it more like a news article, just objectively just seeing what's going on. But now I'm reading it with the background of, okay, we're, we're going to be trying to solve a problem. There's, there's a strategic issue uh, that we're learning about in a company. So I'm going to need to use these tools that, I, that I've gained throughout the program to make an analysis. And, at, you know, Quite frankly, at the beginning of the program, I didn't have those tools. So the only way I could read a case was objectively as a news article. But you know, it's one of the great things about the Darden program is it's it's given me that 360 degree perspective. And I think that's reflected in the way that I, I read cases now. And also the way I read uh, news articles in, in general, I'm, I'm thinking of, okay, what are the, the issues that this company's facing, not just directly to them, but in the global environment. I appreciate that. It's so interesting to hear y'all talk about this evolution. Uh, I worked with law students for a long time. It's the exact same issue that they go through. They read everything. They think the facts are the most important thing. And there's maybe one or two key facts. And so you start to drill down and start to get that lens. But it takes a little while for you to figure out, okay, what's most important here? And that class feedback loop, right? Going to class and listening to the conversation, having that inform your subsequent reading and approach. It's really important. It's the, that's the, technically the fourth step in the, in the learning model here at Darden is the sort of reflection debrief uh, after class. So, uh, John, um, how about you? Well, what's it like to read cases as a second year student versus uh, a brand new executive MBA student? Yeah, I, I cannot say that I am a faster reader, but I know what I don't need to read. So the example is like you go online to look for a new recipe, right? And somebody has written a short novel about how this was their grandmother's red sauce from the old country. And you're like, I don't care about any of this. Get me to the ingredients. Like, I'm just going to go make this thing. Cases are very similar. Like, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have something that you want to, like, do the discussion on. Maybe for this instance or whatever's going on, I don't need 
all of the company's background to Allie's point. So like I can skim that section if there's something interesting that pops out, but like I I'm not absorbing that info, right? I'm going to go back, like critically read the pieces that I think I need to critically read. Um, just because there sometimes I'm not particularly interested in like what this company does or whatever. Um, there are other times where I am interested and then I go do more research on the company because it's just like a particular interest uh, outside of the case. Um, but, you know, one of the most dangerous things in general is like not knowing what you don't know, but like assuming that you do know everything. And I, I think that in like new readings in, in the second half of this program is like, I kind of know what I don't need. So it's easier to filter sometimes. And, and sometimes it makes me miss stuff, but like impact effort and analysis on that would tell me it's okay. <laughs> Somebody else has read the case because it's a room of 70 students. So um, I'm, I'm more relaxed is probably the best way to put it, right? You come into the program, you don't know what to expect. Anxiety's high. Um, you're like, I got to get the right answers. I got I to gotta do all this stuff for the case prep. Later in the program, you're, you're more comfortable. You've done this once or twice or right now 18 prior times. So it, it's that comfortability, I think. I agree, John. And Alan said this too. He would come in with a 25% understanding of the problem. And I think when I started, I expected that I would be at like 80% going into class. And eventually, it's okay if you're not. So it's a good point. How did you get okay with that? Uh, you just realize that's how it is. I mean, that can be hard for people to embrace like that much uncertainty, that much. I don't, I'm not really quite sure how all this works. Oh yeah. Call it exposure therapy. Um, <laughs> you're, you're just exposed to it over and over and over again. And like each time it's a little bit easier. So it, um, that's what it's all about is just the experience and, um, you know, doing doing the hard work you gotta you gotta struggle a little bit to really learn and grow i think it's funny uh talking to some of the classes that graduated prior to ours and we'll have some of these panels on the friday night live we mentioned earlier and the number of times alumni or former students say don't stress so much up front don't worry about it you all just need to relax and you hear that advice and you're like yeah okay sure and then you don't relax. And then finally you figure it out. And now I find myself giving that exact same advice to the new EMBA students that are starting. And I'm like, oh, you guys stress so much. There's no need. You're going to knowing that they're going to go through the same growth that I did and come to the same realization, not just from my telling them, but from them, you know, learning it on their own. So all right, last question for you. I know y'all have got homeroom uh, right now, so um, don't want to keep you any longer, but um, what is a piece of advice you would share uh, with prospective students, and, and maybe in particular, uh, particularly in regards to the learning experience here at Darden? I know there's been a lot of different advice uh, shared through the course of this conversation, but Alan, maybe something that you would encourage people to think about as they approach their, their Darden learning experience? I would say be active and engaged i mean you're, you're yes you can get through the program uh doing the, the bare minimum um but you're not going to get anything out of it that the the beauty of this program is all the things you can get from everything we've talked about today is being active and engaged be active and engaged in the group discussions on the global residencies you know, soak up the, those cities i mean you're you're in countries you're meeting with executives from other countries i mean businesses that i didn't even know existed 17 billion dollar businesses that i didn't even know existed are really interesting and, and i've connected with those ceos and it's about engagement it is make sure in order to truly get the most out of the program you've got to be engaged and active i love that advice i mean you are you're you you are here you're doing the program you're investing the time the money resources all this kind of stuff you put all of your effort into it why not 
it's probably your last major educational experience. Um, so, John, piece of advice for our listeners? Yeah, piece of advice. Um, start out with something a little bit less tangible, which would be be like open and vulnerable coming into the case method. Um, really leaving yourself open to hear what other people are saying and leaving yourself vulnerable to say, I don't have the answers here or this is not a skill set of mine but be willing to really learn from this method. The more tangible piece of advice, and I think it's one of the most important things to really learn early in the program, is learn how to truly listen to what other people are saying. Like so often we listen with just the expectation that we're gonna speak next. So you're really thinking about like what you are going to say. You want your point to be the best. And I, I now catch myself sometimes in conversations where somebody will be talking, they're making a really, really good point, but I'm not capturing it or I'm not like intently listening to it because I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to say next. Um, and then I miss, I miss the point. So like it was really helpful to me actually in like the guided case discussions in that the professors are very mindful of picking around the room and making sure multiple people have times to talk because it's forced me to sit back and just listen to what's being said around. Um, Cause I've already spoken. I don't need to speak again. Um, and I can just learn. So if you're listening, you're learning. And that's the piece of advice that I would give. I love that. All right, Allie, a piece of advice you would share for our listeners about the learning experience here at Darden. I think John's piece is a nice kind of transition into what I was going to mention and something I wish I had taken to heart when it was given to me as advice coming into the program. And that is around participation. And I would say the listening participation that John just touched on. So you come into the program and the professors explain that there's a portion of class, I'm sorry, a portion of your grade that is attributed to class participation. And I think hearing that and coming from a mindset of, oh, I need to get you know a top grade. I need to do well. Like this is what I'm here for. I'm getting a report card and kind of putting myself back in that frame was not a mistake, but a, a learning opportunity for me is you don't need to have that mindset. And even if you go an entire class and you don't have anything maybe material to contribute, but you're sitting there and you're soaking it in and you know others are making commentary, that's okay. You don't have to talk in every class. And, you know, if you end up getting a, a, a different grade, then maybe you're, that's okay. The, the program is not, well, for me, I'll say the program is not about getting top marks in all of your classes. It's about what you're gleaning from each of the conversation. Alan touched on it too. It's about active engagement, participation, and, and, and listening to your classmates around you. And, and I wish I had gone in kind of with that mentality instead of worrying, you know, that I get a hand up early on or a hand up later on to make sure I check the box on speaking for that day. Because you would be probably astounded to know that, you know, someone in the classroom is probably just, you know, waiting for a moment when they have something, a gem to add. And it happens a lot that I've had individuals who don't participate for, you know, much of the that particular course. And at some point, maybe in a later class, they raise their hand and be like, oh, that was absolute genius. Like, that's amazing. And wonder if they would have participated earlier if I didn't have my hand up or, or something like that. So I think that was just expounding upon John and Alan's advice, but that's what I would land on. I, please, I appreciate your referencing the participation piece of the program. That is such a learning curve for students. I think the minute people hear it's part of their grade, they feel like they got to talk all the time and got to get your hand up and you got to figure out a way to get in. And there's always, there's a calibration process that happens. And I appreciate your, your referencing that and, you know, the opportunity to listen and to hear the perspectives of the other people in the room and, and look for an opportunity maybe where you feel like you can add value to the conversation, but it might not be every conversation. Uh, John, Allie, Alan, thank you so much for doing this. It was so much fun. Uh, talking with you. So great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. And that was my conversation with three second year students in our executive MBA class of 2023, John Forbes, Ali Searles, and Alan Barmack. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R, 
D-E-N at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.